Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am joined by a very special guest, Ron Baker. Ron, welcome back to the show. Uh, thrilled to be back. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. I think you have set the record for appearances on Ditching Hourly. Really? This your, yeah, it was your fourth time on. Wow. The first one was back in 2016, if you can believe that. Ugh, seems like eons ago, doesn't it? Yeah, my knee hurts just thinking about it. <laughs> so before we dive in, for the two people in the audience who might not have come across your name before, could you tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do? I'm a recovering CPA who started my life in a big eight accounting firm, uh, which kind of that carbon dates me right there because I say <laughs> big eight, not big four. But right. um, And then I started my own firm in 1988 or so. And then about six months into that, I just determined that the billable hour was a really crappy customer experience. And Jonathan, before that, that's all I knew. That's all I knew. And uh, I even had an elevator pitch about how I only sold time. And, you know, I didn't have inventory that you could chop or look at or tires to kick. <laughs> I only sold time and just determined it was a terrible customer experience. And that's how I got into all this. We tried to improve the customer experience. We made every mistake under the sun. There weren't guys like you out there. There weren't books on the circuit talking about value pricing or even fixed pricing for that matter. There was nothing. And we made every single mistake, And but we stuck with it because the customers loved it. They liked the certainty and the predictability of the price. And once we got better at it, well, if you're not pricing based on time, you don't need timesheets. Right. And of course the team loved that. So that's how I got into this. And I was so excited by it. I started teaching it and then I start, and then I wrote a book that kind of took off worldwide. And it, it was, that was the proverbial fork in the road that got me into consulting and more writing and speaking and all of that. So mm -hmm. that's where we are. Awesome. Great backstory. And, and folks, you can go back, just search for Ron's name in the Ditching Hourly Archive, and you will find three episodes that touch on different phases of that journey. Um, well, I won't go into it. You can go search for that. It's all super interesting and good stuff. Today, I feel like this fourth episode is almost like, uh, we, we talked about subscription last time you were on, but Time's Up was not out yet. So I'm sure your thoughts on the topic are even more crystallized now, having gone through the process of writing a book on the subject. So where do you see subscription pricing fitting into this transition let's call it from the billable hour through to fixed pricing, value pricing, and then into subscription? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and 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 my my thoughts have crystallized a lot more. I, I remember telling, you asked me a question on my last show about his subscription, just a loyalty program. And I said, yes, on steroids. Well, it's not a loyalty program. Okay. Loyalty programs pay you to do business with them with subscription. You're paying them to, you know, to be able to access and do business with them. Right. Big difference. But irrespective of that, I, I think I'm just looking out. I'm just looking outside the window, just doing what Peter Drucker used to say. Nobody can predict the future, but you can look out the window and see <laughs> trends. And, and that's kind of what I'm doing. I mean, I'm seeing the tsunami of subscription businesses. I mean, today you and I can subscribe to a lot of different things. I mean, just beyond bark box and, you know, food on demand and all that. I mean, I can, I can, I can subscribe to a boat from Brunswick with, yeah. with including a crew and, and boating instructions. I can subscribe not just to a Porsche, but to a fleet of Porsches. I can subscribe to a home through Rome. I can subscribe to a concierge doctor. I think you have one. Yes. Um, 
Amazon just bought the largest direct primary care physician uh, practice in the country, One Medical, for $3.4 billion. Mm. That's a major play. If you're a Prime member, you can subscribe to your own personal DPC doctor for $144 for a whole year. That's, That's 12 crazy. bucks a month. Yeah. And, you know, Amazon's play, I think, and I'm not an expert because I don't know much about Amazon, but I do know that they're probably using the doctors as a lost leader <laughs> to be able to sell the drugs and the medical devices, right? which is kind of fascinating. So all I'm saying is the subscription economy is estimated or projected to become one and a half trillion dollars by 2025. Most of our unicorns are subscription-based. Mm -hmm. And so therefore... In five years' time, we'll have the option to subscribe to everything. Now, that doesn't mean ownership goes away. I don't think ownership will ever go away. We're acquisitive people. But you will have the option to subscribe to almost everything. And therefore, regardless of whether or not your business does anything with this model, it's going to be confronted with it from the competition. Oh, that's a great point. Right. So, so if you don't embrace it, someone else probably will. and. If you look out the window, you might see that it is very popular with the buyer. Absolutely. The, the buyers love it. If uh, And I did a deep dive for the book. I did a deep dive on uh, concierge doctors and direct primary care physicians. They're, they're kind of the same thing except for one thing. They target a completely different audience. Concierge doctors tend to go after the top 10, 15% of income earners in the country you know, essentially people with more uh, money than time, right. in fact, a lot more money than time. Mm -hmm. um, and they're willing to pay uh, an enormous premium for that just incredible same day access. Right. Uh, DPC doctors, they'll go after the middle class and even below. I've, I've seen DPC docs as low as a hundred bucks uh, mm. a month, but either one, because they operate at a much lower capacity, um, they can see you same day. They'll come to your house, your office, um, and they handle everything. Now they don't do insurance. They don't take insurance, but that also means they don't have the bureaucracy that goes along with it. And the, the, the demand for these doctors is outstripping the supply, which is another reason I think Amazon just got into this. They're growing like weeds. There's over 2000 of them across all 50 States. Um, and they're all full. They're all <laughs> at capacity. A DPC doc only handles about 600 patients, whereas a regular general physician, somebody who's on a fee-for-service treadmill, handles about 2,400. Say, so, those, say those two numbers again. A, a, sort a of general physician. A normal doc, yeah. A normal doc who's fee-for-service. And you and I hate the treadmill of exchanging hours for dollars. Mm -hmm. Well, I've also grown to completely hate the treadmill of trading services for dollars. I think yep. that's as bad and is subject to burnout and everything. And, and it's just exhausting. It's just an exhausting business model to exchange services for dollars. And, you know, you have 2,400 patients if you do that. And that's why an average doctor has 60 appointments a day and you get to spend five minutes with your doctor. Right. DPC docs, average appointment is over one hour. So 2,400 to 600, um, that's a 75% reduction. Yeah, it's it, it's when you lay it out like that, it's obvious why you'd get the kind of care you get with a standard doctor relationship. It's they're just it's like in and out. You just 
it's like, wait, did they, did they understand what I said? Or like, it's just like rushing, 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 rushing. It's like working at a restaurant where the, the modus up, the uh, modus operandi, is that how you say that? <laughs> where, <laughs> where the, the strategy is turn and burn, like turn these tables as fast as you can, because we make our money on throughput basically. And it's just not a nice restaurant experience. It's even worse when you're in a drafty dressing gown in a, just, you know, a, <laughs> fluorescent cold fluorescent room so all right so let's jump into by the way before before i jump into questions i'm really excited to talk about three specific points here folks should also check out recent interviews that ron did with blake oliver and um, what's that earmark and geraldine carter's podcasts um specifically around cpas which i think is really interesting for my audience to hear since they're not cpas because they're on the buyer side of that equation so It's totally fine today if you keep using CPAs as an example, because everyone listening is going to feel like the customer and say like, yeah, that'd be way better. And then, then I'm going to turn the tables on them and say, okay, now why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you providing a customer experience like that? Or how could you provide an experience like that? Because if you don't, it's likely that you're going to have competitors who will. And I'm already seeing a lot of that happening. It's, it's, it's a small nascent kind of uh, at a nascent stage now, but I'm finding more and more web designers, software developers, and copywriters who are toying around, some having good success with a subscription, unlimited, all you can eat subscription model. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's happening. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah. So, uh, let's start with capacity. You know, the doctors are a good example, but let's use CPAs. I've, I've gotten this objection myself, uh, what do you say to this sort of all you can eat access to your what you provide? So let's let's use CPAs as an example. I could imagine my CPA, who is, you know, it's literally tax day today as we're recording this. She's probably had a really bad week, super busy, slammed, uh, and and couldn't imagine switching to an all you can eat model. It's almost like hiding behind the billable hour is her is the way that she can control capacity, keep clients away from her. You know what I mean? It's like, well, if you call me, it's going to cost more. It's going to cost more. So how do they, how do you advise other, say CPA firm owners, how to think about capacity planning under a subscription model? I, I spin them back and ask them a very simple question that I've been asking all types of different professionals since I started working on this. And that is, why did you enter this profession? Don't care if you're a doctor, architect, computer programmer, CPA, lawyer, you know, uh, advertising agency, whatever. And the number one answer is to help people. Well, you can't help people if you have 2000 customers, you're <laughs> kidding yourselves. Relationships don't scale. That doesn't mean that a business based on relationships can't scale. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying one-on-one, you can only have like a Dunbar number of relationships, you know, Dunbar number being around 75, mm-hmm. right. That we can really truly have a deep impact on. And I would say the subscription model gets us back to that route. That's what it's doing for the doctors. The doctors in a fee-for-service model were burnt out. There's a 51% burnout rate among general physicians across the world. By the way, this is, this is not just the, U, the U.S. This is in the U.K. No matter what health system they're under, mm. there's a 51% burnout. Jonathan, if, if I screwed in light bulbs in my house and 51% of them <laughs> blew out, do I have a light bulb problem or do I have an electrical system problem? And the electrical system in this case is the business model. 
It's a fee for service. Doctors, just like you said, doctors are paid when they do something to us, mm-hmm. not for us. And CPAs and anybody who's billing by the hour or even anybody who's value pricing, dare I say it, mm-hmm. is only being paid when they do something, right? When they sell their hands, when they're performing a service, as if by brick by it, it, the, the more services we pile on brick by brick by brick by brick, we're adding more value. And in a lot of cases, I would say taking away services and spending more time with your customer probably will create infinitely more value mm. rather than just thinking that you need to constantly sell services. So this is a completely different mindset. And when people say all you can eat, people get freaked out, but it's not really an all you can eat model because it's all you can eat of the type of food that you serve. And this is where strategy and positioning comes in, right? Who's your ideal customer? Are you, are you trying to be, are you, do you want to be Morton's? Do you want to be McDonald's or do you want to be a vegan restaurant? Mm-hmm. And a lot of CPA firms try and be all three. Right. <laughs> and, and you can't do that. You can't sell Rolls Royces and Chevys out of the same dealership. It's not only confusing to your customers, it's confusing to your employees. As Tim Williams likes to say, a brand can only stand for one thing. So you really, you have to focus here. Uh, whether you call it niching or I don't care what I, there's so many terms for it. Now I don't care what people call it, but you have to focus. You have to have your ideal customer and you got to stay in your lane. The last thing I want to hear from my surgeon being wheeled into the OR is, oh, wow, look at that. I've never seen that before. (laughs) (laughs) You, you better, you better have seen everything that you do because especially CPAs and lawyers and other, but other professionals have this too. There's a principle called do care. If you've never done something before, gee, gosh, you shouldn't be doing it. You can't, you can't experiment on your, on your customers. You have to go find somebody, at least in the CPA world, you have to go find somebody either supervise you or review your work. Who's done it before. Who's kind of an expert at it. Mm. And that's called the do care principle. It's very similar to first do no harm in medicine. Right. Right. right? I mean, a, a DPC is not going to perform heart surgery. They're not going to do oncology. You know, they're not going to replace your hip. They're going to refer you out to a specialist. And so I, I kind of reject the whole all you can eat because it's it's only all you can eat in terms of what you do, mm-hmm. what okay, you're good so, at. Yeah. So the, the two other topics I do want to touch on are strategy and positioning. So if we if we keep the lens on capacity, can you perhaps by bringing in the other two terms more, can you give us kind of a more concrete example of how a CPA strategically or through their positioning would prevent themselves or their employees from getting overworked by, well, yeah, yeah. How, how did we get overworked? And like, what is the promise to the subscriber? Yeah. Um, CPA firms today, because there's a chronic shortage of, of CPAs, 300,000 people have left the profession in the last several years since COVID. Um, so it's a big problem. Most CPA firms have too many customers because they've never met a billable hour they don't like or a dollar that they don't like. They're not willing to say no. They try and be all things to all people because they, that's the way to keep everybody happy, right? Well, we're not tequila. We can't be all things to all people. So you, you got to focus. But I also think you should run at nowhere near 50 or 60% capacity because you mm-hmm. always have to have capacity for your best customers or for, or, or, or in, in the case of subscription for your customers, period, just like a DPC doc or a concierge doc take same day appointments. Cause they always have capacity. 
Yeah. And that freaks people out, but that's built into the price. And, and therefore I think subscription, because you're going to the market with an uncommon offering, you're commanding uncommon prices. If you go to the market with a common offering, you're going to command a common price. Right. (laughs) But an uncommon offering like the concierge doctors did. And by the way, when the first concierge doctor came online was in 1996, it was charging $24,000 a year for a married couple. Hmm. Everybody told him that's nuts. Nobody's going to pay that. He filled up in no time. Right. And he became the largest medical practice across the country. It's called MD squared. Now I think they're up to like 36 grand a year or something. Hmm. Um, but their doctors only handle 50 patients. That's right. it. So let's unpack that. Right. So if you're, so if you're a CPA firm, you've got maybe yourself and a couple, you know, bookkeeper, let's just small and, and you sort of reverse engineer your, what your prices would need to be to be at 50% capacity in terms of workload so that when there was an emergency or somebody got audited, I don't know, something, something happened, people needed you to pick up the phone, you had the time to do it. So you look at your calendar and every day you've got four hours free. You and your employees have four hours free. All right. So and I'm just spitballing here. So correct me if I'm off track, but it, then you like, look at that and you say, okay, how much, how many people could I handle in the four hours that I'm probably going to be working? Like I predict that I will be working these four hours every day. The other four blocked out free for surprises. And I, I think, okay, and I need to, I don't want to decrease my revenue. I know what my revenue was last year. I want that. So how much can I fit into how many, I guess, how many clients can I knowingly fit into that four working hours a day? And therefore, what would I have to charge each? I'm trying to reverse engineer a price from a scope, sure. which is maybe backwards, but but I'm sure people are just like, cannot connect the dots here. Like, how would I even calculate what my subscription price would be so that I had enough slack in the system that I could respond appropriately to my customers' needs or my clients' needs? Yeah, and that, that, that obviously, your mileage is going to vary depending on the type of firm, the type of services that you perform. If you're doing just tax, if you're doing tax and what they call client accounting services or basically bookkeeping or if you're offering some type of a test service, you know, like audits or reviews or compilations or, or even advisory services. Mm-hmm. And you can still have pricing tiers. You can still tier your pricing or what we used to call in value pricing options, you know, choices mm-hmm. like green card, gold card, platinum card. You can still do that. So for example, let's take a small firm. Like you said, maybe you got a bookkeeper, maybe you've got a PA um, and that's it. Um, and let's say you do tax, you do bookkeeping and you do some advisory. Well, you could have your first tier could be, uh, the bookkeeping, but here's the difference. We don't scope it. We say anything that we do normally in that we're capable of doing within bookkeeping, that could be cash flow, that projections, that could be budgeting, that could be other types of services that we do like KPI monitoring, you know, and perhaps monthly or quarterly meetings with you to discuss your KPIs and your financial results and plan what if analysis. If we do that type of work, then that's all inclusive. Once you're in that, once you're in that bookkeeping tier, you get everything that we're capable of doing in that tier. It's so funny. Sorry to interrupt, but it's just so funny because I've been with the same CPA for since 2006 or so. Yeah. I don't even know what all they do. Like I, I, I wouldn't even know what to ask for because it's just not presented that way. 
right. you know, they do my, they do my bookkeeping and my taxes. That's as far as I know, that's all they do. But there's occasionally I've had like either an influx or like whatever, some big expense. And I'll call her and say like, how should I be thinking about this? Like, what are the unknown unknowns here? But I mean, maybe that's happened twice in, I don't know, 18 years or whatever it is. So it's just, I guess it just speaks to the, how opaque the whole thing is like a black box to me. Uh, But I would love if, I mean, some of the things you just listed there would be like, ah, that's really interesting. That's, that was super attractive. I I would, I don't even know how much I pay. It's our, you know, it's like this many hours of bookkeeping. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's never enough for me to notice it. I know I would pay more if I was getting like a value add. So does this, does the idea of switching to a subscription model for a firm as they're trying to decide what's on their particular buffet, what are they going to serve in their restaurant? Would you advise someone if you were advising someone like this to just for the time to get started, to just stick with the food they've been serving and uh, pick their ideal buyers for those particular services flip to a subscription model, and then at some point, either earlier or later, do you, would you advise them to start thinking of moving to more advisory services, or is that not really necessary? Do you think they're intrinsic? Like, does it make ton, just so much sense to elevate to advisory from, say, bookkeeping that it would be crazy not to do it? Well, again, that depends. I mean, if you just want to do bookkeeping, that's fine. You could just have one price. Uh, and as long as you are well niched and well focused on a particular type of customer, you could theoretically have each one of those customers at, at the same price. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But a lot of firms will at least have two main types of services, bookkeeping and tax being the most popular. Mm-hmm. Certainly a lot of m- firms are moving into CAS, you know, the, the client advisory services, the uh, bookkeeping basically um, that might include some advisory. Um, but but back to, okay, you're, you're at the bookkeeping tier. If you want us to do your tax work, okay, now you're in the bookkeeping and tax tier, the middle yep. tier, basically. Mm-hmm. And so that's got a price, but that means that anything that happens within your tax life that we can do, like if you get audited and we represent audits, then you're covered. Mm-hmm. You're just covered, period. You're just right. covered. Uh, if you get letters from, if you file in various states or whatever, you're covered. We're going to handle those power of attorney and all of that. And then you could have an advisory tier that does the advisory work, like you know, help help your customers with their pricing, help develop their KPIs, do more of the what if, the more strategic advice, the more marketing advice, if you do that type of thing, mm-hmm. whatever it is that you do in advisory, which could be wealth management as well. Mm-hmm. And you just let the customer, let's say they want to do some type of advisory project. They can slide up to the advisory tier. Maybe that project takes four months. Maybe it takes six. Once it's over, they can slide back down to the tax tier, the middle tier. Mm. And so you make it very easy for them to move around um, and and to cancel, by the way, which is another big thing. Basically, the value guarantee has been replaced in the subscription model with the cancel button. Mm. And cancel at any time. Right. And that's the guarantee. Um, and of course, churn is a big deal in the KPI world for subscription. But the big thing, back to your question about what would I advise, there are, there are three models to pivot from wherever you are now, whether that's hourly or value pricing and to pivot to subscription. Hmm, Okay. And, and the most successful, there's three models. So one is you launch a new business. Yep. You just launch a new business because the, the mindset needs to be different. 
You're now looking at customer lifetime value. You're no longer looking at the math of the moment. You're not trying to figure out profit per job per per you know per customer per hour. You're look you're what, what the subscription business model. It's got a different profit formula, and that profit formula is you're building lifetime annuities that are worth more than it costs you to acquire them. Right. That's the new profit formula. That's completely different than looking at the bottom line. In fact, the KPIs are different and the income statement's different. It's also got a different revenue model. And the revenue model is a very interesting question. I think you'll like this. <laughs> the revenue model is, what do we want our customers to pay for? Mm-hmm. Now, I think last time we talked, I was telling you about the guitar company. It was Fender, by the way, okay. and Fender Play. And how he, he developed that digital library that can teach people how to play the guitar to whatever, yes. at any level they aspire to. Right. Once COVID shut us all down, they opened up Fender Play for a three-month trial. It got something like a million downloads in the first couple of days. It crashed their servers. <laughs> um, Fender, by the way, during the years of COVID, so 2020, 21, 22, sold more guitars in those three years than they ever have in their entire corporate history. <laughs> But you know, year 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 by year sales, and right. but but here's the thing: the CEO said about Fender Play, and this was back in 2016. He said we sell a lot of guitars at Fender. He said, but the problem is, people buy a guitar; they're all excited. They want to learn how to play. They're going to take lessons. Ninety-five percent of people quit within six months. He says the guitar goes under the bed in the closet. He said, worse, they'll give it to somebody. They'll give it to their cousin, and I lose another sale. Right. That's why he started Fender Play because he said. We're not selling guitars. We're selling musicianship. Right. So yeah. The, <laughs> you could, yeah, it, you could, but there could be a bunch of other models too. Like we sell strings, we sell pedals, like give absolutely. the guitar away. Yeah. There's a million different ways you could do it. You know, the sort absolutely. of razor blade model. Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and they still do sell SKU guitars and probably all the strings and all the other parts that you buy. Right. And you, the only subscription they have, it's kind of a hybrid model like Amazon. The only subscription they have is to the Fender Digital the digital play part where they got the videos. But here's the thing. Um, <laughs> when you say we, we want our customers to pay for your musicianship, you're now talking about something that's more powerful, certainly than selling inputs like ours or selling outputs, right? Like services. Right. And we talk about outcomes. Okay. Outcomes are cool, but, but this is something different and professionals are capable of doing this. We're selling a transformation. Hmm. We're moving the customer from where they are to where they want to be. Some desired future state. Who they want to be. Yeah. It, it, who they want to be. Joe Pine calls this the new you business model, the <laughs> new you, because you've changed. You, this, this is the Heraclitus quote. You know, you, a man can't step into the same river twice because not only is the river changed, but you've changed. <laughs> That's a good one. And, and, and Joe Pine's theory is people want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And all professionals, and I think this is what separates us professionals from other types of businesses like Starbucks or Porsche or Brunswick trying to, you know, subscribe to a boat is we have the capability and the privilege of being able to transform people, to guide those transformations from where they are to where they want to be. I'll just, just to keep it real, because if everybody's got a CPA like you do, here's what your CPA could help you with. They could help you retire sooner. They could help you grow your, the value of your business. So when you go to exit, you'll command a higher price. They could help you buy a dream home, a first home. They could help get your children in college. Um, and they can also help plan your legacy. If they do a state work, plan your legacy. How much time does Warren Buffett, Mark Zuckerberg, 
Bill Gates put into their legacy. It, those are personal transformations. The, it has nothing to do with the services. The services are a means to an end. Mm-hmm. And and so I, here, here's something I think you'll love, and I've been saving this for you because <laughs> I, I know I, I know you that. like definitions of strategy and business models. Yes, yes. This comes from the crux. You might know the author of the crux. He wrote a book called Good Strategy, Bad yeah, Strategy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Richard Remelt. Yep. Well, the crux and the subtitles, How Leaders Become Strategists. In that book, he describes, and it's a great book, by the way, I really did enjoy it. He defines a business model this way. In essence, a business model explains where revenue will be earned when services are provided free of charge. Mm. Now, if you're going to give away the bookkeeping, the tax, and the consulting, because Jonathan, in the old days, we used to say, well, we'll get... The bookkeeping and the tax will be lost leaders because we want to get the advisory work because that's the high margin, you know, profitable stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, what if you gave away the advisory too? What would you charge for? Well, it would be the transformation. It would be the musicianship. There's there's that company in the Netherlands. I think I mentioned them in Scandinavia uh, called Sinsam, and they're an eyewear company, and they have you know brick and mortar optical labs where you go get your eye exam. And you subscribe. They have 380,000 subscribers last time I looked, I think. And they're about 180 euros a month, 120, something like that. And they're not selling, you know, eye exams and glasses and contacts. They're selling perfect eyesight. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you that. You, so what do people want from their CPA? Well, they want to be healthier, well, wealthier and wiser. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that could lead to better health. But, you know, a lot of CPAs approach for instance, tax taxes by saying, we'll do everything we can. We'll plan to minimize your tax. I have a buddy in the UK who's a chartered accountant. When he brings on a client, one of his first, one of his first points that he tells this person is if you work with us, you're going to pay more in income tax, not less (laughs) because we are here (laughs) to maximize your wealth and your income. Right. (laughs) <laughs> and now, now that doesn't mean he's not doing everything he can to minimize the tax along the way. Right. But, but you are going to pay more. And so let me ask you, would you rather have a CPA that minimized your, ta- minimized your tax or maximized your income? Yeah. It's the difference between like thinking small cost cutting versus capturing opportunities and growth. So, so that's very funny. So when people are zigging, you should zag, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, whether you call this blue ocean strategy, whatever, but Everybody seems to be going one way and I want to move towards what the DPC docs are doing and the concierge docs because they've already proven this model. We've got the KPIs, we've got the empirical evidence and the customers love it. This is a better customer experience. As Walt Disney would say, this is a plus experience. And what I mean by that is it's convenient. It gives the customer peace of mind. It surfaces simplicity. You don't have to go to the department of paperwork when you have a scope creep and you got to get a change request signed off by these nine people. And then that turns into a change order. I mean, I'll be the first to admit we created a ton of bureaucracy with value pricing. We really did. Value pricing is a, is kind of a nightmare in terms of the bureaucracy because you have to have a value conversation. You have to do it every year, at least in the CPA world. And you know, you get rid of that with subscription. It kind of blows up scope because you're just telling the customer, Hey, Whatever you need that we can do, you're covered. Right. And so there's a form of insurance there that I like because insurance is an interesting psychological project, product, product, because 
we all pay for it and we're thrilled when we don't use it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there's like a million directions we could go here. So one, so I'm taking notes. We'll get back to, we'll get back to all these threads. Um, I, I want to jump back to one, which was the pivot models. The pivot. Yep. Right. So the Sorry, first one I was, went off on a tangent on you. No, that's all great. All great. So the okay. start a new business was the first pivot model. What are the other two? Second is you do this gradually, just like we saw with value pricing. Now with value pricing, I used to tell people, look, the, the transition from hourly to value pricing is essentially when you boil it down, it's one customer at a time. Mm -hmm. So you can do it gradually. Yeah. And so we are starting to see firms saying, well, you know, we'll do subscription in our bookkeeping division, right? And okay. we'll test it there. The problem with that is it's, it's a low risk test, but that also means it's low reward, right? right? Profits come from risk. And that model is not very successful. The third model is do what Adobe did and, and other companies, but Adobe, you know, just said one, one year, Hey, in a year, year and a half, whatever it was, we're not going to sell box software anymore. It's going to be online. We're not going to support the box software. We're not going to upgrade it. And of course, the analysts that you know were were freaking out. The stock took a huge hit, and of course, <laughs> Adobe's flourishing. What did they just pay twenty four billion for Figma? Was it? Yeah. Did you see that? Figma. I, I don't know what the number was, but yeah, it, it was twenty four billion because Figma had five hundred million in annual recurring revenue. Mm. That's quite a multiple. Yeah, <laughs> that's quite a multiple. Um, so. So some, now I don't think a lot of smaller firms have the managerial talent of Adobe. We're also starting to see Apple move more and more into subscription. About 20% of their revenue comes from subscription, hmm. mostly in services. Um, and Disney now you can, you know, subscribe to, to their parks through Magic Key. You can get a subscription, but they have a lot of managerial talent. Right. I think the best model is to spin out a new firm. Yep. And, and that freaks people out. But I'll tell you, this is a different mindset. It's a different offering to the market. It's probably a different type of customer than your legacy firm. And hopefully what happens is the new firm just cannibalizes the old one. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. it, it, big deal. Uh, if, if you're going to be cannibalized, it's better to dine with friends. So <laughs> better, better to cannibalize yourself rather than be cannibalized by some competitor. Yeah, that's, that's, I like that. Nice and dark. So it reminds me of, uh, was Mike McDermott at FreshBooks. Is that where he is? And, and they started, yes. they started a V2, like they wanted to do a V2, but he just started a different company, he had a mm -hmm. different app built from scratch. So they didn't have to deal with all the legacy stuff and then cut over, you know, like after mm -hmm. it was proven mm -hmm. to be, I don't know exactly how they did the cut over if they kept both things going and people could pick one or the other, or if he sunset the old one, I don't it just reminded me of that story. It's very sort of felt similar, right. even though I, they, I can were, they were both subscription in the first place. I can tell you, I'm working with one guy who's a good, good friend of ours, and um, he's, he's moving to this as of May 1st. So he's mm -hmm. kind of doing the Adobe model. He's informed all of his existing customers, hey, as of May 1st, we are moving to subscription. Here's going to be your pricing choices. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's significantly up the price. And they're going to have the option to, you know, leave or now he's also restructuring. He's getting rid of some divisions of his firm. Like I think he's jettisoning tax. He's not going to do taxes anymore, mm -hmm. but 
that's kind of the, the Adobe model. And that's what a lot of doctors did when they moved from fee for service to DPC or concierge. They said, as of this date, usually about a year away, we're going to be this. And if that doesn't work for you, we'll help you find another doctor. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay, great. So I'm glad we closed the loop on the three pivot models. I, uh, man, I, I will confess that I, I probably half my income comes from subscription right now. I don't know exactly. Mm -hmm. I, I, I should know exactly, but I don't, but it's about half, maybe a little more. And I, and I'm not exactly, I'm kind of like a solo CPA in a sense, kind of, I have a lot in common with like a, you know, an independent professional as I would call it. And, and I, for me, it was basically a new offering that just had, I, I already had like a bunch of different offerings that had different pricing models. Like I used, I didn't use hourly, but I did use value pricing. I did use fixed fees for productized services. So, you know, fixed fee sure. for a fixed scope essentially. And, uh, and I did a lot of, in my consulting days, I also, when I was doing both at the same time, I had a pure subscription productized service, which was purely advisory, just an advisory retainer. You can call me 24 seven, ask me whatever you want about this area of expertise. And I'll either answer you on the spot or I'll get you an answer within 24 hours. And it's like, and that was the bulk of my income in my consulting business through the end of, I think 2019 was when I, when the last client just sort of said, okay, I think we're all set. And I just let that business atrophy just serve the existing customers and didn't take on any new ones. And then when I went, when I was more in the business coaching that I'm doing now, pricing specific stuff, uh, I just had different, you know, I have products, I've got productized services. I had a mix of different things. And then I started a membership community where the promise is connection, you know, feedback, support, uh, just never be stuck again, never be stuck going in circles in your mind, deciding what to do about whatever dilemma you're facing. And it's been great. I mean, it's like, it's, uh, but a membership, I mean, it is literally a subscription, but, but it's not a service. I'm not doing services for people. So for folks that, so I don't know if that's a different, if, if that's a number four kind of pivot by just creating a you know, maybe that's your gradually step. Maybe that's the gra uh, gradually type of pivot where I just kind of like released a subscription product. Maybe I'll release more. Maybe I bundle them together. I don't know. But uh, for a CPA, they're going, I'm trying to think. Here, here's the question. It's like for the more advisory services that a CPA provides, does that threaten their identity? So like, do you, do they push back? Well, like, no, that's what wealth managers do or that's what financial advisors do. I'm a CPA. Or are they or is it, would it be normal for a CPA to be advising about things like, um, you know, how you should reposition your business to increase your revenue? Right. Right. Well, I, I think value pricing, uh, threatened CPA's identity, um, <laughs> because you know, it was all tied up in how many hours. I mean, they used to puff their chest out, talk about how many hours they build in the last year, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but it is very difficult to move away from a fee service mindset. It really is because we really do get into this bricklayer mentality of the only way to add more value is to pile on more bricks. <laughs> and it, it's kind of crazy when you think about it, because when I think about what you're doing with the membership is I have access to you I, and I can bounce ideas off of you and I can talk to you and you're not selling your hands, you're selling your brain. Mm -hmm. Now we've been saying for, you know, 50 years that we have knowledge workers and that we're all knowledge workers as professionals. And yet we still think we need to sell our hands 
Right. CPAs don't do enough of the selling the, of the brains. They should start a CEO, uh, you know, club. They should start a CFO roundtable. Oh, imagine so that. They, that would be so they, cool. They could do a book of the month club and, and think about if they're niche, if they do nothing right. but dentists, think about bringing 50 CEO dentists in, you know, mm-hmm. and talking about common problems and challenges because you've seen it all before. Right. And, you know, or if they did uh, microbreweries or whatever, whatever the focus was, um, there's lots of things they can do to leverage their knowledge, but they're in that mindset. And what do you think it's a billable hour or service? It's still a rival asset. You can only do one thing at a time. Rival Whereas asset. With, with, is- with knowledge, it's a non-rival asset. Knowledge and ideas can be a lot more places. You know, we can all listen to Bing Crosby sing White Christmas, right? <laughs> Uh, and not interfere with anybody else or watch Harry Potter or read Harry Potter or whatever. Um, Got it. So I'm much more interested in, in leveraging non-rival assets. And that's why digital products are so good. But it doesn't have to be digital because I think with the subscription model, you're getting more pricing power, mm-hmm. just like the concierge doctors. And therefore, your customers are going to be willing to pay you two or three times more as long as you're giving them that plus offering of simplicity uh, peace of mind, convenience, like, like you, you give them access when they need it. Um, you know, I just a stupid example, but last October I had to call my eye doctor because I needed an eye exam because I scratched my glasses and can't fix those. <laughs> and, uh, I needed a new prescription. This is October 1st. I'm calling him. He didn't have time for me until January 29th. Yeah. No capacity. And, and I pitched a bitch and she said, well, I can, we can get you in December 29th. So I, I go to him in December and I say, doc, I love you, but you've become expendable in my life because what's the point when I need you, you're not available. Why don't I have a special lane that I can cut in front of everybody, pay you, you know, a hundred bucks a month and be able to get you when I need you. Like I do with my HVAC company for crying out loud. Um, and he said, oh, you mean like concierge doctors? And he said it very disparaging. Yeah. And, and I said, well, you know, listen, you're either, you're either expendable or you're indis- you're indispensable. Yeah. Which one would you rather be? Right. Wouldn't you? Right. Like, wouldn't you want to have the like when someone needs you? Wouldn't you want to be able to like Superman your way and save the day? Like you would. I I, I know. I, I can you imagine calling your dentist and you know, with the bad toothache? Oh, you can fit you in, in two weeks. Yeah. No. You know, no, that's unacceptable. You're you're in this profession to help people, right. and now you, when they need you the most, you're turning them away, just like a lot of CPAs are you know, until today, turning people away because they're all too busy doing right. tax work. Yeah. Yeah. The one time a year, everybody wants to talk to a CPA and they're holed up in their office with the phones <laughs> off because they don't want to talk to anybody because they're too right, busy. Right. This is the, this is the time when everyone's going to have the questions. Right. But, but it gets back to that capacity thing. Right. So, so if we just stick with the doctors as the example, what does it mean? It means you have to have way fewer clients Nobody wants to take a pay cut, so you need to you need to create more value somehow. Hopefully, in the that I've never heard the term non rival asset before, but I like that and uh, create it through through brains work and to divide you know as you would say price the portfolio. So like across the the group of ideal buyers that you've whittled down to the ideal clients you've whittled down to price across that entire portfolio. Leave enough slack in the system that you can handle spikes. And it'll be fine. Like it's fine, you know, and Absolutely. the quality of your life and the quality of your client's life 
is going to be way better. It's like such a more convenient. It's just, it just, I mean, just, just think about it. Like doctors can't enjoy saying, oh, I can get you in in three months. They must feel like jerks when they do that. Well, they don't have to do it. They're, they're, their PAs do it for them. But yeah, I mean, he was, he was very apologetic when I told him that I said, yeah, but doc, it doesn't do me any good. I had to go find another doctor. You know, I think the biggest, biggest sin today in business, especially for professional firms is wasting the customer's time. Mm. I'm going to make an argument to you, Jonathan, that if we are going to measure time as professionals, if we are going to do that, we should do it in two ways. We should measure the time that we save our customers and we should measure the time that our customers spend with us. Because I read something and this is, um, who's the guy, um, the guy from base camp. Um, Oh, uh, Jason Freed. Jason Freed said, good companies have customers, great customers have or great businesses have raving fans. Hmm. Privileged businesses have audiences. <laughs> yeah. And the well, difference is, you know, businesses pay for customers' attention, but an audience really gives you their attention. Yeah. I give you my attention every week when I listen to your podcast. Oh. I, I remember reading George Carlin, you know, he was driving to a venue and massive traffic jam. And he has this limo driver pull over and he's just watching people parking in the lot, getting out of their car walking into the venue and it, and he said my god they're here for me <laughs> and uh, that had a profound i mean an audience an audience that's what it, maybe we shouldn't even call them members or subscribers we should I, I actually them, don't but, yeah yeah i call them an audience because they're they're freely giving their time to you and we don't spend enough time as cpas with our customers hmm. we don't and and we waste their time because i don't know if you get this but if you get a 200 page organizer from your CPA every year, I mean, that that's just customer abuse. (laughs) Why don't they know about everything that they're asking you about? Because they should be meeting with you throughout the year. Yeah. And if you have less capacity, I mean, fewer customers, you're able to do that. And that's why you entered the profession to begin with, to help people. Yeah. It's like when When I go to my doctor, guess what I don't do every single time? I don't fill out 40 pages asking my name repeatedly on different dittos. You know, they're like always dittos. And it's it's like, how many times are you going to ask me for my phone number, my address? Crazy, isn't it? You know, but that never happens. They know who I am. They know who I am. And I just don't have to. Yeah. So let's do five episodes. I've got so many notes here. Let's talk about the, let's just jump around. So what's your take on subscription fatigue? So, you know, both of us are, you know, have been strong proponents of value pricing. And I will admit that value pricing is very difficult for people to get their heads around. It takes a, it's like a performance art. It's like, you can't just read a book about how to play guitar. You have to practice. It's the same with value pricing. You need to practice. And a lot of people I, uh, that start with me don't have enough leads to get enough practice to really get good at it. Some people are naturals. Some people immediately get it right out of the gate. And for them, it's a game-changing experience in terms of revenue and profitability. So that's all true. Subscription is like brain dead simple in the sense that it's like, here's the price. Here's what's on our particular buffet, right? Like here are the things that, that you're covered for. And if you want it, we'd love to work with you. If not, that's fine. You know, there's no it's like you're, you're not pricing it in the moment. You're not pricing it on a, on a one-to-one basis. You're not trying to uncover value. It's like 
you you get a pretty good idea of what the value is because you've got some experience with whatever, however you've been billing before. And okay, great, you do the subscription thing. And it starts to work out. You know, you're like, oh, that was scary. I thought I was going to be over capacity. I thought my team was going to be overworked or I was going to be overworked, but it's actually fine. It's no big deal. But what is it, does it turn into, I guess this is a really long preamble to a simple question, which is, is subscription a phase? Or do you think this is the business model of the next 50 years? Oh, I, I, I do think it's a way station. I, I think we'll move to a world where we're actually paid for performance and not promises. Mm. Um, you know, there's a drug company, I think it was GlaxoSmithKline, who made a drug called Rapatha. And the only way they could get the European countries to buy it, because it was designed to prevent uh, strokes and heart attacks, was to say, okay, we know this is, you know, $12,000 a year type regimen, but if you buy it for your patients and they take it and they get a stroke or a heart attack, we'll give you your money back. Hmm. So uh, imagine a world like that. Well, I mean, that aligns the, the, the mo motivations perfectly, right? The, Absolutely. The, what we're in that model, it's sort of like a contingency fee. There's a, a bunch of different versions of this, uh, you know, equity is similar. I mean, there are lots of, you know, you sure. succeed if we succeed. Plain of lawyers. Yep. Yeah. So what that, to, to me, that is higher risk, higher reward for the, for the seller. Right. So you, you really, well, you could just be an idiot and go out of business, but let's, you know, anybody that succeeds at that, just, you know, leaving the lucky people out, the, anybody that s succeeds at that is so good at, delivering desirable results or transformations if you want that they mitigate what seems like a high risk to an outsider so for them it's actually not that risky right it'd be like if i if i paid you to be my guitar instructor mm -hmm. and i was motivated and i was young and eager and and you said okay and you charged me a lot of money but if i wasn't taking your advice or i wasn't making progress you'd get rid of me a lot sooner right right because otherwise i'd be a really bad advertisement it's frustrating. It's frustrating for the teacher. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there. Believe me. Sure. It's, Just it's, like personal trainer. Yeah. Karate. You have a customer arts. that doesn't yeah. listen to you. Yeah. You know, won't take your advice. And so, yeah, you're not going to stay with them. So that reminds me of a great story. Speaking of Joe Pine, I might've told it to you before, but I, I won't rehash the whole thing. But uh, if you go check out the Joe Pine episode of the business of authority that I do with Rochelle Moulton, he told this great story at the end of the episode about how he had a, a golf pro who he was paying like 50 bucks a session. It was essentially mm -hmm. like an hourly rate. And he said, and they were talking about like, oh, what do you do, Joe? And he's like, oh, I teach people, like, you know, he's just right in the experience economy. He's like, he's like, I'll give you an example. Joe says, I'll give you an example. How uh, I'll pay you $5,000 if you can get me down to a, a five handicap. And right. all of a sudden the guy was like, his whole posture changed. He like sort of sized him up. It was like, uh, you know, he's like wondering, could I actually get this golfer that good? You know what I mean? It sure. just changed the whole, and, and that's when he talks about, I might've even been in the experience of economy. He might've put it in the book, but he tells that story about how, you know, the guy was like, it would change everything about the way he delivered his service. The, the golf Absolutely. pro, you know, he'd be like banging on Joe's door, be like, get out of bed, lazy. We're going to get on and the course. We're going to do course management. They never did course management. And to your point about it, it, it looks risky from the outside, but not so much from the inside. After he sees you swing and hit a few balls, he he'll he knows if he's got something that's got some talent there. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and, and if he can develop it or not, it wouldn't take that long to figure that out for a golf pro. Right. And so that boils back to, or loops us back to positioning where a huge piece of positioning is, is deciding who your ideal buyer is, who you're going to go after, what are the kind of people that you want to find, connect with and expose to this offer, this value that you can create for this particular kind of person. Right. You know, so like golf pro that, you know, golf pro for over 60 men over 60 who want to get their handicap want to shave five points off their handicap let's just say like that's a pretty sweet promise that's like very clear and and, oh by the way i don't get paid until you have the round of your life right and you know there's golfing schools like down in arizona that you pay two or three grand a week to go to and you know they're taught by pros and they could they could set up a model like that um, this makes me think of something else, like when you were explaining how your business works and you have productized services and all these different types of things, plus your membership, I get asked a lot of times, can you combine subscription with value pricing in, you know, kind of split up your customer group or have one tranche of customers on subscription or whatever. And I don't think you can, I really don't because subscription is not just a pricing model. It's a business model change. It's a completely different revenue formula, profit formula, different KPIs, different accounting even. Um, And it it requires, it insists upon a plus plus offering. So I always tell people, if you want to run two business models inside the same firm, it's kind of like having two spouses. You can do it, but you're probably not going to like the result. (laughs) Always got the most colorful metaphors. So I, I feel the exact same way and you, you can do it, but why would you, right? It, to me, it's a fear response where, or yes. it's, it's a lack of clarity on the transition where I stopped value pricing way before I stopped teaching it. I stopped doing it, practicing it way before I stopped teaching it. I still teach it. You know, I don't, I haven't done it for years because not for myself, I've done it on behalf of clients. Sure. So I'm still like keeping my, my uh, hand in there, but it's just like, it, you know, it's just not my favorite. Like it's really high revenue. But when I switched over to advisory retainers, I'm like, oh, I like this a lot better. Yeah. It's, it's but, like less risk, uh, not risk. It's just less emotional investment up front. You know, it's like, I just want to be like, Hey, take it or leave it. This is how much it costs. Uh, the good. right people I, are going to get, yeah. Uh, the right people are going to get value. Right. If, if the right person hires me on this kind of a retainer and I knew what they looked like, you know, when one came through the door, I'm like, yep, they're going to hire me because they've got so much at stake. You'll be interested in this. We, we, because Ed, my co-host, Ed Plus, he works at Sage. And of course mm-hmm. he, he's working with a lot of the Sage partners and some of them are accounting firms. So some of them are just IT people that sell CRM or help people, you know, convert from, I don't know, QuickBooks intact or whatever it might be. And some of them are moving to subscription and they actually are doing right out of the gate, massive software installations, like $60,000, $100,000 jobs normally. And they're just telling the customer, look, you just sign up for a normal subscription and we're going to do this for you. And the customers are like, this is too good to be true. You're not going to assign people. This is going to take longer. You're going to drag this out. But no, no, we're going to do this. And if we don't, if we don't hit our milestones, just cancel. There's no risk to you. Mm-hmm. And that's because they're, and they're doing it and they're converting, but yeah, they're taking a risk, but they're also developing that, that relationship. 
and they're strengthening that relationship right out of the gate. Right. They're demonstrating value. So this is kind of like we see in the, the car wash space. You've probably seen this in your local car wash. Uh, the private equity people are coming in and buying up all these mom and pop car washes, turning them into subscription, you know, 30 bucks a month or whatever. And you drive in a special lane and cut in front of everybody, or it's just all subscription. Mm-hmm. And, and the mom and pops were like, well, what if they come every day and get their car washed? And the PE people were like, great. That means we're going to get them hooked right. and they're going to become addicted and they're going to see the value really early or we'll keep them for life. And then their use will drop off like a rock and they'll go back to, you know, living a life rather than getting their car washed. Um, and it's the same thing, but you've got to trust your value. Yeah. You have to trust your value. If you're good and your price, re- and I'm talking about a price that reflects that you're good, like Nordstrom or FedEx or Disney, but if you can back it up with a great experience, and by the way, you're constantly plussing that experience. The other thing that separates subscription from say value pricing is the innovations baked in. You've got to constantly plus that offering just like the doctors do. You know, they add diagnostic equipment or they add, hey, we'll do 23andMe analysis or they'll add a pharmacy. Some of them dispense their own drugs type of mm. thing. Um, and so they're constantly plussing their offering. And you have to do that in the subscription model. It demands it. Yeah, because you got to fight churn, right? Like you increase Absolutely. customer lifetime value. It's totally, Amazon's a really, Amazon Prime's a really good example of this because it was so bizarre at first. It was so bizarre. Free shipping and movies? It was like, what? It was just a weird combination No cost of accountant would have let them do it because, you know, if they're selling something for 10 bucks and they're shipping it to you for free, it's costing them money. Yeah. So but spe- they're building a moat around the customers. Right. And Prime members spend something like eight times more than non-Prime customers. Um, yeah. So the plussing is a big part, is a, is a big part of this. And that's just, it makes you suspend the math of the moment because it's all about the relationship and yeah, it's the big picture. that, yeah, reducing that churn. Yeah. One of the, the Sage story reminded me of something. I had a conversation with someone yesterday for this very podcast uh, of a, a guy who was a, a self-confessed mediocre web developer who Five years later, is uh, he, he learned how to build websites to so that he didn't have to pay someone to build a website for his power washing business. Mm. Five years later, he's doing like six figures a month. He's adding thirty more than thirty new web design clients per month. More than thirty a month for a small firm that is bonkers. Oh. And they're on track to do you know like whatever. He's like, he's like, our goal for the year was like 260 new clients and we're going to blow past that. It's, it's only, you know, Q1 just ended and we're going to blow past it. And, and it's a subscription model where they, they take a, what seems from the outside, like a big risk upfront. You the deal is say, Hey, you got a power washing business, need a website or a better website. Somebody says, yep, that's me. How much is it going to be? $180 a month, no setup cost, no initial down payment, nothing. It's a, it's a, it's a subscription that he positions as a payment plan, a 24 month payment plan. And, but they'll have their website within 30 days if they get him all the materials. So, so like a big initial investment of effort from him, him and his team, uh, that you, from the outside would be like, you're going to get screwed. You're going to get paid right. 180 bucks and they're going to cancel and keep the website. Yep. And, yep. Right. But guess what actually happens? Nobody does that because Nobody does power that. washers don't care. Like, or, and then he's expanded to other service businesses since he got his start. But 
he's adding customers. <laughs> I mean, people, he's adding customers. He's adding 10 times more customers per month than most people even get in leads. I feel like other wow. web developers get in leads. And you <laughs> just do this year over year and, and people never leave because after the 24 months is up, he downshifts to a lower price tier because the building has been paid off. The, the building of the website's been sort of, air quotes, paid off. And it's exactly like you say. I, I kept at, I was quizzing him like, well, what about, what if they want to add MailChimp to a website? Yeah, we'll do it. What if they want to integrate with QuickBooks? Yep, we'll do it. You know, just whatever, you're covered. Like if, yep. if it has to do with generating leads from your website, we'll just do it. And that's such a time saver for the customer. And that's what they want. They'll pay for that. People will pay to save time today. Big bucks, big, mm -hmm. big bucks. And, you know, every profession's got their, their fears about this. I mean, the doctors, even you get into the doctors, these DPC docs and the concierge docs are, you know, when they talk to their peers that are in fee for service, well, how do you deal with the cyberchondriac who, you know, <laughs> camps out in your office and thinks they have everything under the sun, you know? And well, first off there, there usually aren't any. And if there were, if there was a cyberchondriac, well, you could always terminate the relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be it, uh, where only the customer fires us. You can fire the customer still, yeah. but that doesn't happen. Never Most happens. people don't even call their doctor. The doctor has to kind of berate them and say, no, no, you need to come and see me when you're feeling okay. Cause I'm here to keep you healthy, not just to cure you when you're sick. Yeah. I get the same thing when I would tell people about advisory retainers, they'd be like unlimited 24 seven access. You're on call around the clock. And That's I'm like, crazy. It's crazy. Like they're going to, they're going to be on the phone with you every single day. My customers would be on the phone with me every single day. And I'm like, well, first of all, maybe that's true, but those are bad customers or right. clients. Uh, but I doubt it is actually true because no one really wants to talk to their mobile strategist every day. Right? Or their like, CPA or, or their even CPA. their doctor. The, right. <laughs> the, 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 the docs keeps, there's a lot of stats on DPC doctors and something like 85% of their texts and phone calls come during normal business hours. And, and of I'll course, tell you what, when, when, when you get the 15% that come in on Saturday night at three in the morning, right. you probably want to hear from them because it's yeah. probably something really, you know, not good. Yeah. It's your moment to shine. Exactly. Yeah. It's not exactly. like, yeah. It, the questions, it is funny because all the questions that I would get about whenever I talk about advisory retainers, the questions that I'll get are just, it's like a category error of question. Like I understand the thinking because you're coming from a worldview of, um, it's like you're giving away something for free. Well, it's like you said from the crux business model. It's like, wait, unlimited access to your time is how they think about it. Right. And, and I'm like, yeah, but they don't have unlimited time either. Mm -mm. And they've got lives, they've got things to do. And, and I granted, I had some, I, you know, I was very, very focused on the kind of people I would work with. So that helped a lot that smoothed a lot of things over when, you know, I would only work with reasonable people who I liked, which is, you know, it's like, it sounds silly to say it's like I didn't take bad clients. You know, I put myself in a position where I didn't have to take bad clients that would abuse my time. But to your point, when someone just couldn't, couldn't get there mentally because maybe they've been exposed to nothing but bad clients because of their, their hourly business model, which happens, then I would say, well, you can just fire them. You know, yeah. like it's not, it's not a, it's not, you're not chained to them. If someone was really abusing your time on a consistent basis, you just say like, look, I, this is not working out. And Absolutely. right. And it's not, it, but then again, it's the same when you say that to that mindset, it's like, I could never fire a client. 
you know, so it's, they fire us. We don't fire them. (laughs) I I don't know if it's the abundance versus the scarcity mindset. I've never, or just the zero sum view of the world. But look, I mean, if you're a professional, you got into this business to help people, just help people. Yeah. You know, they're not going to abuse you. A good person's not going to abuse you. And if they do, you can turn, nobody can abuse you without your permission anyway. Mm. Yeah. Right. And think about it. If you're taking, if you're going from whatever the number is, if you're going to decrease your client base by 75%, maybe that means going from 10 to seven, or maybe that means going from a hundred to 75, whatever it means for you, maybe it means going from, from four to one or hopefully not that, but if you're going to decrease your client base, oh, I did the numbers wrong, but you get my point. Right. If you if you decrease, if you jettison 75% of your, your client base and just keep the perfect ones, the ones that are the best fit for you, it might not be a best fit for someone else, but they're the best fit for you. They're not going to abuse you. Like you picked them, you put them at the top of the list, the top 25% best clients. You put them up there because they're a great fit for you. And if you switch them over, you do this sort of... Um, sunset model the end of the year we're switching to subscription and here's what that's going to look like and you are on the the list the top 25 percent of my clients who are going to be offered this at all then i just don't see how you're going to have a it, it just seems pretty it, it's an easy yes it just feels like an easy yes yeah and, and if you talk to um like john warlow who i think you've had on the show yeah a couple times uh, yeah a great book built to sell he's seeing multiples when you do go to exit your business, he's seeing multiples in the professional space of anywhere from five to 14 if you have annual recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. As opposed to reoccurring revenue, he, he makes a distinction between recurring revenue, which is subscription, mm-hmm. versus reoccurring revenue, which is like eh, a lot of one and done projects are in there. You know, it's kind of like a rash. We never know when it's going to come back type of thing. <laughs> but recurring revenue, the market and the buyer willing buyer will be um, much more likely to pay a higher multiple for recurring revenue. It's more predictable. The market is screaming. This is why unicorns are doing this model because Mm -hmm. PE venture capitalists, they all want to see that, that more predictable revenue. And so you've got to factor that into the profit formula. And then you also asked about subscription fatigue. I know there was a recent wall street journal article about this, but um, in my experience, Yes, I do believe consumers can suffer from anytime you see an app advertised that can cancel subscriptions. I forget the name of it, but you know, they run those ads on TV. They'll there's a website oh. called how do I cancel.com. Right, right. In fact, there's a funny bit. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's an Australian comedian does this complete routine about canceling his gym membership. <laughs> yeah. It is the I'll try and find it for you, but it's the funniest thing because he's they tell him there's only you have to come down and cancel. And he said, well, I'm not going to do that. And he said, well, then you have to write us a letter. <laughs> and he said, write a letter. He said, what is this? The 19th century? You know, he says, I had to walk to the drugstore. He said, I had to walk by the gym to the drugstore to buy stationery and envelopes to mail them a letter. It is the funniest. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, but subscription fatigue, I think, is more real in the B2C world than it is in the B2B world. The B2B world. Uh, businesses love subscription because it's OpEx, not CapEx. Like, yeah. like your, like your, uh, like your power washer guy, mm-hmm. 180 bucks. I get a website. Yeah. <laughs> this is like lease versus buy. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's cancelable at any time. So, uh, and we pay for software and all the apps we use in our tech stack. We, 
Yeah, We're unlimited free that. repairs on my car. Sign me up. Yeah, I mean, this is what Porsche drive. This is why Porsche drive is so brilliant. I mean, not only do I have an access to you know, five or seven different models, but I don't have to do any of the maintenance. I, I just you know t- call them up and say, hey, it's got a problem. White club me out a new one, you know, right? And they bring me out a new one. So it's just it, anything that saves the customer time. I'm telling you, there's a huge market for that, and it's underserved. Yeah. There's also, there's other things going on here too, like like uh, cash flow for the for the buyer, yep. like yep. being friendly to their cash flow. Uh, there's also uh, portability, like we've just sort of laughing about like the inability to cancel and like people trying to decrease churn by making it hard to churn instead of by making me not want to churn. Right. So that you're serving a new master with the churn thing, and but but it's a it's fun though because it's like you can just constantly be thinking about coming up with new ways to delight your audience your client but your however you know i think the you know the membership community i think of them as citizens of ditcherville it's called ditcherville so they're like Mm. they're ditchers right they Mm name themselves and it's like okay that's what that's and and then like what what can i do to like make what would be a new good thing to do right like what would be a new fun thing like oh let's let's have birds of a feather channels where people can talk about I don't know, have a book club. I don't care, right? A business book club or something that's perhaps relevant to the group. It's it's like, it's a fun thing. It So like from the outside, it might look like, oh, it, you know, shoveling sand against the tide in, in, infinitely because, oh, you, now you have to just fight churn. You're just fighting a new thing. And it's like, yeah, but it's a lot more fun. It's like you can sit around and innovate, for crying out loud, come up with new ways to provide value. And you've got, a you know, 500 people sitting there who you can ask. It's just not like dreaming things up. It's like, what would, what would be a cool new thing to do? You know, you know exactly. wh- where are you stuck? Where are you having problems? Where's like, let's vote. Like what are the top 10 things that people are facing, facing now? Now that you're in here and you've been in here for a couple of years, what are the top 10 challenges now? And like, huh, let's brainstorm on that. Come up with, it's not like I'm coming up with some new product to sell to them. Not that I never do that, but I, you know, I still sell things outside of the membership community, but sure. it's like, it's like, what, how could we make this better? And, you know, this is another thing that I really like about Joe Pine's concept of transformation. By the way, we're going to have him on this Friday because he's got a new Harvard Business Review article out called The New You Business Model, Love which it. is all about transformations. Yeah. When and I finished the experience economy, the last chapters on transformations, I was like, this should be the whole book. It, it, yes. And and I'm, we're really going to have him apply it to the subscription model and really have him put some meat on the bones with around the subscription. Cool. But the, the great thing about the subscription model is, and, and charging for transformations, assuming you gave all the services away for free, right. is we're able to do that as professionals. We can, we can bring a community together and we can take them or guide them to a new place. Starbucks can't do that. Sure, Starbucks can create Starbucks Reserve. You know, uh, Howard Schultz called it the Willy Wonka of coffee. Right. <laughs> I, I get, yeah. Uh, Google it and look okay. at the one in Chicago. It's like five stories and the top floor, it's a bar and they got music and you huh. could probably spend a hundred dollars on coffee. They probably got that cat poop coffee in there or something. <laughs> um, Delicious. you've heard of that, right? No, um, no. Uh, yeah, no, there's a coffee and I forget. It's got a really weird name. Jari, uh, I forget the name, but what they, box do is Supreme. They, they serve the coffee to these cats. I don't know if these cats are feral or some type of special cat. And then somebody who's drastically underpaid goes through their droppings. No matter how much they get paid. 
and, and Jonathan, the stuff is really expensive. I, I, I don't know what it costs, but it's really pricey. Um, and I don't think it's that very, I don't think it's very good by the way, but I've had it, but <laughs> wasn't impressed, but, um, it was a big thing for a long, but I still think it's a big thing uh, anyway. Um, Starbucks can't take me to a new place. Even Porsche who can get me through a midlife crisis and yeah, they can make my neighbors jealous, but they really haven't transformed me into somebody new. We professionals have that capability, no matter what profession, because we can help our customers be healthy, wealthier, and wise. We can save them time and we can help their business or their personal life, whatever. And I think that's a privileged position to be in for, for us professionals. Mm. And we're not utilizing it. Yeah. We're too busy selling services brick by brick by brick by brick. And that's not where our value is. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I, I we could go for four hours. I know I got to let you go. Um, but this has been great as usual. Excellent fourth installment in the Ron Baker series. Hourly. And uh, for, for the listener, dear listener, there are going to, there's going to be a link of Palooza in this episode because we, we dropped like at least a half a dozen books and podcast episodes and yada, yada, yada. So uh, just a, tons of solid gold nuggets in here. And uh, I hope you found it useful. Ron, where can people go to find out more about, where do people go to get more Ron? Well, they can, we're start, we're launching, in fact, this month, um, we just lost, launched the free tier portion of timesupclub.com. Oh, cool. And um, that's where we're building our own little community. We want that two and a half percent of innovators who are going to glom on and really do this model the way that, you know, we teach it with the DPC kind of North Star, concierge North Star. Um, and, or they can go to the soul of enterprise.com and that's the radio show I do with my colleague at plus. Oh, so way to get me. And I'm on LinkedIn. I'm one of the influencers. So I've got a lot of articles and interviews posted. You mentioned a couple of them. And I've also, I'm on Twitter at Ronald Baker. Excellent. Ron, thank you so much for coming back on. Oh, thanks for having me, Jonathan. It's been a thrill. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time for Ditching Hourly. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one -on -one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one -on -one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.